0: So welcome to Talking Early Years, the podcast that really looks at all the issues that affect small children. Today uh, I'm talking to Sonia Pumba, who's the campaigns manager for Action on Salt. Interestingly, she's just explained to me that that's only a shortened version of the title, which which is probably worth unpacking a bit more with her when she when she starts to talk to me in full, because it kind of touches on why we're having a conversation with a campaign manager of a charity that's looking at salt Um, and what has that got to do with small children you may well wonder and you know what you'll find is rather a lot. (laughs) Would you agree Sonia? Oh
1: definitely yeah I'm happy to delve into that more as we chat.
0: Okay so um, I guess the first question anyone asks on a podcast is tell us a bit about yourself and how you ended up as the campaign manager for action on,
1: on salt. So I know I've always known that I wanted a career in, in helping people, which sounds a bit soppy, really. But, you know, it's it's, it's I, I, my mum always uh, loves to bring out pictures of when I was younger and always pretend, you know, playing doctors and stuff. I always knew that I had that kind of like caring um, interest, I guess. I just didn't know what that was going to look like into my adult life. Um, and I did an undergraduate degree at Sussex um, on biomedical sciences because um, science science and medicine has always interested me in that regard. And whilst I was doing that course, there were quite a few um, modules looking around like diet related disease. Uh, and that's what got me interested in in nutrition aspect of things. I mean, I've always loved food. It sounded like it was a perfect match actually. Once I had one of those aha moments where it's like, oh, of course it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what led me to, to, to do the masters in nutrition. I did that at King's in London. Um, you know, my family, my culture has always revolved around food. I spent a lot of my childhood with my mum and my and my grandmothers, you know, cooking up various dishes for family events and things. And so it was kind of, as I was doing the course in nutrition, I was immediately interested in how all of that kind of affects uh, our, you know, our everyday life, all aspects of our life. Um, so that was really good. And I'm glad I made that choice. I don't look, I don't regret looking back on it. Um, when I graduated, I then moved, uh, started working for a nutrition research company. So they worked quite a lot independently with um, food companies. Kind of, it, it wasn't quite going in the kind of caring route that I had originally planned. Um, but it was whilst I was part of that role, was um, running nutrition training workshops for um, members of the food industry that perhaps weren't, you know, didn't have any kind of nutrition background. But would be relevant for their role, um, and it was while I was doing those training workshops that I stumbled upon action on action on salt. It was their campaign director, Catherine, that had come in to do like a little bit of a guest lecture, let's say, um, for for the for the for the people that were on the course. Um, and at the time, admittedly, I'd never heard of them before. I don't think. And no one I've come across has heard them before unless they're in the food uh, in the food sector. But I was instantly amazed by the the work that they were doing behind the scenes to to improve our food system for, for the benefit of the whole population, um, not necessarily just like the privileged few essentially. Um, and I knew then that public health work was more for me. Um, and it was just by chance that when she'd uh, come in to do a talk, they'd also had an opening for a, of a position within the charity. So I had to just jump on it. And I'm, I'm so glad I did, um, because until then, I hadn't really appreciated the importance of, of prevention, which is where we kind of like really um, focus a lot of our work on, you know, preventing um, future diseases, uh, you know, right before any of it really happens, right from an early age, even in childhood. Um, and, you know, even with blood pressure, it's not really something you think about when you think of small children, how it would affect their blood pressure. But the earlier you can prevent something from manifesting, the better.
0: Yes, I noticed in your um, some of your writings, you're you you you're quite kind of um, irate, I think, about some of the salt and some of the hidden, hidden uh, additives that are in children's foods. Uh, I can't recall. If you actually mentioned the breakfast cereal uh, drama, but I do remember years ago being on a panel with Andy Burnham, who had at that point, do you remember? He got the name of the um, the, the sort of breakfast cereal baddie because he was saying they're they're really not very good for you. Um,
1: is this is this true? Is this is this how it is? Are we talking specifically around salt, or just generally? Uh, I think
0: uh, I think salt in particular and sugar, of course, is the other thing that you do quite a lot of work on. But, yeah,
1: I think so. Our priorities are very much focused around working with the food industry and and with the government to try and get the foods that are on supermarket shelves the best it possibly can be. Um, And if we're talking specifically about salt and you mentioned breakfast cereals, um, you know, it, it probably surprises so many people. That salt is in so many things. You know, it, a lot of the time, and part of the issue with with salt, is that um, you know the, the way it manifests or damages our health is is very much silent. It's not, you know when you have high blood pressure, which is which is the, the 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 main issue with eating too much salt. It raises our blood pressure. If we have too much salt or high blood pressure. You know, it doesn't have any physical manifestations. We don't see it having any side effects. It's just very slowly and gradually damaging our health. Um, And until you get your blood pressure checked, which not very many people do, especially in the last couple of years, it's only the rare occasion that you'd go and um, visit your GP, which not many people have been able to do in recent times. Um, If you don't get your blood pressure checked, then you don't know that that it's it's causing that damage to your health. Um, And another issue is that not many people think they eat too much salt. We now live in a society where um, everything is pretty much made for us. We don't very often, you know, cook all of our meals or all of our foods from scratch every single day for every meal point. We we tend to rely, uh, and myself included, we tend to rely on those um, ready-made um, things like breakfast cereals or bread, even you know the staples that we kind of don't probably don't think of as processed foods. We rely on these things to make our lives that little bit easier, um, and we don't realise that those foods have salt in them. Even some people find this very surprising, even things like hot chocolate. So one a mug of hot chocolate has about half of a gram of salt in it, which, you know, fair enough, if you're having it on a rare occasion, not a big deal. If you're giving that to your children, they're obviously their salt requirements are much less than adults. So it very easily adds up. And again another really popular example that people don't think of is um bread so bread is actually uh, the number one contributor of salt to our diet and you know you you probably see children day in day out kids love bread right kids (laughs) kids that's like a a core staple for them and for for adults as well and it's because we eat it so in, in such a regular occurrence we eat it very regularly that it very quickly builds up and adds up to our total salt intake um so even if we were able to convince the whole public to, to, to stop adding salt to their food, which they probably don't do all that often, it would still be really difficult to meet their maximum their maximum limits for salt intake because 75% of our salt intake uh, is added in our foods already by the food industry. So that's why we as a charity work really closely with the food industry to, to get them to to, to go through this process of what we call reformulation, so just gradually and unobtrusively reducing the amount of salt that they're adding to the foods, um, to, their, to their popular foods, to the foods that they're selling, so that the, the public continue to buy those products, um, and, and without realising that it has got less salt in it, because if you do it slowly, your taste buds are not going to notice. And, you know, we've we've had this kind of voluntary program going on for for a number of years now, since the early 2000s. And for many categories of food, it's been done really successfully. We have managed to reduce salt in, in all sorts of things without much kind of much, much notice from the public. So they're still eating the same foods they love. It's now got less salt. And we've also been able to see it's almost like a a real day in the life experiment that we're experiencing in the UK, we've been able to see that those reductions in salt have corresponded to um, lower population blood pressures and fewer deaths from strokes and heart attacks, which is, you know, a win-win for everyone.
0: It's really interesting, Sonia, because that's a narrative you don't hear enough about, you know we hear a lot about obesity and the negative but we don't always hear about the impact of the on the positive um so if you're I, I'm going to guess you're a parent of a small child or else you're into childlike art one or the
1: other <laughs> yeah this is this, this is my own art here on, on the back of the wall now I've got two small children they're um three and five so they're perfectly placed to
0: give, you know, in a way, give you an, a, a bird's eye view into the world of nutrition for small children. And um, I'm really interested because both being a parent and a nutritionist as to how that what that looks like. And I don't know if your children attended a nursery or anything, but you, you know what your experience was about it and the whole food idea. And, you know, our view that we needed an early year chef academy. Uh, because you really need to have advanced chefs to understand portion size and nutritional balance and stuff. And I was really shocked to find that there was no qualification for chefs who work with small children. Yet there is, you know, a million and a half children go to nurseries in the year. And, that's, and if you take your point about so much of this kind of thing being silent,
1: mm. you know,
0: and children being fed quite a lot of processed food in nurseries, especially in areas of poverty where they can't really afford what I might call sort of more fancy pants foods, then actually we're setting in place a lot of bad habits and bad sort of baseline health kind of um, approaches. If we're already allowing them to have food that's got high levels of salt and you don't even know it, and that's got high levels of sugar and you don't even know it. So what's your take on the whole being a parent, being a nutritionist with two small children about the whole world of early years, which gets far too little recognition and
1: um, we get more traction in the schools about food. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you, you more. I mean, you know, we we know that the first thousand days of a, of a child's life is, you know, is is the is the stepping stone for their their future essentially. And you know, so much emphasis as a nutritionist before I had kid, before I had children, was you know, was around. The weaning process and getting them, you know, the, the right nutritional requirements, the right amount of protein, carbs, vitamins, etc., fruit and vegetables. Um, and and we have all of these, you know, we have school food standards, there's a lot of guidelines out there. Uh, but as you rightly point out, it's it's from school age, isn't it? Yeah. it what happens to where are the guidelines or where's the regulation for, for children aged four and, and un, under? Um, And and what I found when my kids did, my kids did go to nursery, one still is, but he's now moved to a a school setting nursery. Um, But before they were both in private ones. And, you know, we, um, as a working mother, both myself and my husband working full time, our children were in nursery um, for pretty much all of their meals whenever they were in. It was breakfast, um, a a mid-morning snack, lunch, and and, and an evening meal as well. And so there's, you know, as as a nutritionist, I, I I was interested naturally in what they were eating, um, and I know talking to the other parents, there is that willingness to to know and to to understand and to to to, to kind of have that information. They just don't really know where to go, and without like you mentioned, those guidelines and and you know, some some schools or some earlier settings like yourselves are fortunate enough to have um, that kind of passion and and, and drive drive to, to 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 really hone in on the kind of nutritional needs and demands of the kids but other um, settings perhaps that you know even smaller kind of like child minding settings their qualifications are around minding the children not necessarily around nutrition so I, I know there's a lot of pressure on them to to kind of do and be everything but there is a real importance there and i think it's just about communicating that with um with, with the parents as well, because I know, as, as I mentioned, there is willingness, they do want to know, it's just, they just don't know where to get that information from, it's not very easily accessible, um, and if there's no kind of, like, straight website, like NHS Choices or something, the reality is they're probably going to be looking in, in, in more questionable areas, right, social media or something, to see what the, or the, or when they're in the supermarket and they're inundated with, with uh, you know, food that looks like it's directly, you know, supposed to be for children. So if it's got cartoons on them or something, it's bound to be, it, it's definitely for children. So it's bound to be OK for them, right? Because otherwise, why would a company want to sell you bad food for, for, for your kids, yes. essentially? Um, so that's where they're, at the end of the day, getting their information from. And it's 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 not necessarily from the best place.
0: No, it's, it's a really interesting question. And the reason I set up the early years, uh, Chef Academy, was uh, LEAF is a social enterprise. So a lot of our places are for children from more disadvantaged backgrounds. And the, the st- statistics on child obesity are really scary. And we're also we're also seeing kind of two things. You see children who are becoming overweight, mostly because they're eating processed foods that's cheap. But also children are hungry. So the two seem to me just completely wrong as to, you know, what we're doing as a, as a nation, that our children are in that position. But then I was really surprised that there's no training for chefs who are specifically uh, cooking um, for small children. And that a lot of the food that is delivered um, in nurseries, but in also school nurseries, is packaged up. And it comes, you know, we 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 spend more money sometimes on the travel either delivery than on the food itself because occasionally where we have no chef we have to get something you know uh, an emergency sort of uh, service Uh, we're big enough now to be able to support each other so we're okay but you know you spend all that money on the transport and the actual food itself was really not very good at all but it did make us very interested in fads so we had the whole thing of uh you know children um parents coming to us and saying, you know, we want no sugar, and uh, no, no uh, sweets, no nothing. And um, I remember saying to a parent once, honestly, you want us to feed the children like we're 40-year-old women on a diet, but actually, two-year-olds need carbohydrate, and they need zinc, and there was a study done that proved that. So, a two-year-old at four o'clock in the afternoon is tired, is hungry, and has used a lot of energy, and I was insisting that the chefs baked proper cakes without necessarily large amounts of sugar um, and they made scones for the children and, and and you know we weren't using processy stuff so you were in control of how much you put into anything but we're seeing more and more of this and it, it comes from sort of two places really a kind of uh, a sort of social media driven panic that you get with parents on that and also um, a confusion about what is you know what is good for your child now and so we're seeing a real growth in veganism. Um, parents wanting the children not to have any um, any dairy products, um, no milk, uh, and they want almond milk. And and, and then there's the real allergies because we see a lot of those too, and that's different. But this is more lifestyle stuff, you know. And there's a kind of there's a it's a fine point between the two. And then you have parents who say, oh no no, no you can't, they can't have any sweets. And then at six o'clock when they're crying point between the two and then you have parents who say oh no, no no you can't they can't have any sweets and then at six o'clock when they're crying you're just using that in a kind of negative way because food shouldn't really be used as a as a bribe really to be honest it's something that you enjoy and you do it publicly and openly and then it's over and my, my grandmother used to always say to me a little of what you fancy can you know does you good so yeah. where, where are you in all that kind of complexity of the of
1: the parent marketplace so to speak well, you're so right. It's so complex, isn't it? I mean, that I couldn't agree with you more. The fads, the, the kind of dietary fads that are coming out do, I find, come from a place of uncertainty and, and a lack of understanding sometimes, or, you know, like you mentioned, where the, their sources of information uh, are coming from, uh, most of which are probably a little bit questionable. Um, my real bugbear with this is the misleading claims on packaging, um, because, ultimately parents are doing what they think and they want to do what they think is best for for their children, Um, you know, then then, then we're not trying to be difficult, we're not trying to kind of, (laughs) like how you mentioned raising 40-year-old women, I thought that was brilliant, Um, you know, they probably genuinely do believe that your carrot sticks are better than a a packet of raisins or something, Um, but it's really difficult, and I do feel for parents. I'm one of them myself. When you're in a time poor kind of environment, and you, you, you kind of you do often rely on um, easy to access foods, or you're going down the supermarket and things are popping out at you, um, and you think it's healthy because it will say one of your five a day, um, or naturally uh, naturally low in sugars, no added sugar, and you automatically think, um, especially based on how the packaging is, is that it's, you know, a a healthy product or a healthier product. If I'm going to give my child a snack because we're out all day, at least they can give them something that's uh, healthier for them Um, or that what they believe to be healthy. So it's quite, um, without the realising, when you look at the back of pack, because all of this, you know, nice, healthy sounding stuff on the front of pack um, is kind of steering you away from what's really on inside the product and you look at those nutrition tables which very few people do but i do because i'm a nutritionist and it's a lot of what our work is revolving around you look at the nutrition tables and you see that actually it is still a high sugar product or it doesn't actually have a huge amount of nutritional benefit to you Um, it might not have sugar on the ingredients list but it's as the word but it will have five different variations of what is still a sugar in in that product Um, So it's quite difficult. The food industry don't really make it that easy for us to make those healthier choices. It's just such and especially with these kinds of products, they all tend to be blasted on um, packaging of kind of like snack products or things that, you know, are quite enticing to get. And then that also creates a bit of a kind of uh, long lasting lifetime habit. Where we now we all kind of ingrained to be snacking. We don't know we no longer have like three meals a day anymore. It's kind of breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, and then an evening snack. And you know my kids before when um they, when they were with me they didn't really snack much because they would have met all of their nutritional needs from their meals. Um, but now with, with school, now that they're at once in school um, and they have a childminder and stuff, it's, it's this constant grazing. Um, and, it you know, this kind of real importance around setting really good habits with children in early years kind of is, is really important here because it's it's so easy to start a habit, but it's really difficult to break one. Um, and so that's why I'm really quite, quite, quite keen around those. And then other diet fads, I mean, if, if a child wants, if a parent wants to, be vegan and raise and raise their children as vegan for, for, you know, various ethical reasons and stuff, you can, you can lead a healthy lifestyle for that. But if it is, as you say, just for a fad, like they'll still eat chicken nuggets for dinner, but they just don't want their children to have dairy milk or something. It's, it's, it's quite, it's it's, it's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Because, mm. and it's, it's, it's that messaging that they're getting through from the media or, Whereas they can probably be doing a lot more for their families if they if they kind of moved away from those fads and just a, kind of approached it in a more holistic way and thought about, you know, what is it? What foods are they giving to their children? How can we fit in more fruits and vegetables and things like that?
0: It's very interesting. You mentioned snacking, because I often wonder if, if nurseries in fact and nurseries actually more than schools, to be honest, have actually contributed to some of the obesity thing by insisting on all this snacking.
1: Mm.
0: So, for example, if we're not giving the children a 10 o'clock snack before a, a, a quarter to 12 lunch, a two o'clock snack before a, you know, four o'clock tea, you kind of feel like you're depriving them. And there's this sense that, I mean, the snack is mostly fruit, to be honest. We're, we're mostly giving them fruit. But it's because we're thinking of the children as having quite small st- stomachs really and so taking small quantities of food regularly but I would love a nutritionist to do a piece of research around that because I don't know if we've got that right and whether we're not actually encouraging the children to then constantly require food in between and if you're at home and your family haven't got access to whatever we're giving them, you know, fruit or nuts or whatever it is we're doing with them or if they're allergic to nuts, you know, an alternative that you end up giving them a biscuit or giving them um, a piece of toast or whatever it is. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering. So I, I I, mean, I guess this is a shout out to nutritionists who want to work with us to look at whether the um, the introduction of snacks actually is contributing to a change in attitude to food and an expectation that you should be eating constantly. And the second thing is Ofsted, our regulatory uh, institution, they ask us if we're doing snacks. I mean, you know, there's an expectation that you are providing them with fruit and um, uh, uh, some carrot sticks is one that drives me crazy as you can tell. Uh hummus, vast pots of hummus are served in nurseries. Um but that they're they're having that and that they I mean I've never served any kind of drinks except milk or water and that's it. And we've had so many arguments with parents saying that we should be giving them fruit juice. But I've argued against it on grounds that they don't actually need fruit juice. They're getting five pieces of fruit and vegetable from us in the day. And effectively they um, the full fat organic milk or water is you know we know where it comes from but where a lot of fruit juice is, is cheap stuff and it comes from um concentrate and so it's going to be sugary on top of anything else exactly I mean, you know and so I'm, I'm, i think we're kind of caught between our regulator who's sort of looking for this kind of thing and parents were expecting this from us and us being brave enough to say actually no milk or water and mostly water in fact Um, And if we're having milk, I insist it's organic. And I fought the the Department of Health on this for a long time. So we got access to organic milk as well, because they were taking the view you could have green milk because they don't need full fat milk if they're having a full diet. But the children I work with, a lot of them, you wouldn't know whether they're having a full diet or not. So you can't make that judgment on behalf of them. So therefore, you definitely need to have. At least the source of the stuff you're giving them has to have a proper source. But as a campaigner, and you, you know, you're you're kind of in this messy world of confused messages. Nothing new about any of this. We all know the complexity of the message and all of that. Um, really, um, what would your three tips be to anyone uh, trying to navigate this on behalf of parents? Um, as well and also in supporting chefs who spend a lot of time talking to parents I think in 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 many settings because there's some fantastic nursery settings out there on farms and organic based and you know where the children are doing sort of you know plant to, to table and all sorts of interesting things but in all of that kind of confusion what would be your three campaigning tips
1: Oh, three. three all right question. then two <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do commend you on your kind of stance with 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 fruit juice. I I, d- I don't know what it is that make that makes us feel we need to give children or f- or anyone really fruit juice or anything. But for us, we we believe um, that they you know they are basically empty calories. They are often laden with with sugar, which even if they were produced from the fruit. Um, you know once you've broken it down and processed it, you've you've extracted the sugar from its from its cell structure and it becomes a free sugar. It becomes no different to, to other sugars um, out there. Um, and again, as I mentioned before, with this whole like really kind of instilling good habits early on, if you're encouraging or allowing children to to be drinking fruit juices on a regular uh, basis, that then again becomes very difficult to kind of that habit to shift when they're in older age or that will then translate when they're in their teenage years into something a little bit, you know, like sugar, um, busy drinks and things like that. Whereas if you get them really early on, I, I'm guilty myself. I didn't drink that much water when I was a kid. My, my parents did give us fruit juice and that was a really bad, the long habit to break. Um, it's only probably again since working, uh, be, being a nutritionist and working at Action on Salt, that um you know you realise these these things like you know you, you just do things out of habit or things that you were taught to do when you were younger um and you just kind of just you just need one of those moments to to to, to try and break it to to realise that it's unnecessary. But my tips on how to navigate around this this area, I mean it's the old saying isn't it of it takes a village and it, and I think it really does in all walks of life to to, to raise children. Um, to instill these early habits, we need to rely on um, the earlier settings, the parents, um, and we also need to work higher up, um, which is what you know our charity is doing, working with the food industry um, and also working with the go- government to, to make it one of their priorities. Um, you know, A lot of the um, nutrition-based campaigns and, and programmes and regulations that are currently in place in the UK uh, are all, for the most part, still very voluntary, there is no kind of mandatory measures being put in place, um, restricting um, the sale or the, the production of these unhealthy foods. So we are very much relying on the food industry to, to do it out of the goodness of their hearts, let's say, um, because there's no kind of financial or monetary incentive for them to do it. It can be quite costly to reformulate foods um, and time consuming. Um, and if they're already selling foods that, come, that people are buying, um, you know, they, they might argue, "What's, you know, what, why am I going to change it? It's, it's not to their advantage." Um, so we just, but we all do really need to to, to work together. Um, earlier settings, we've got um, kids in you in your settings for such a long time, um, and it's great that we can get some early year qualifications in there. Chefs are professionals; they're they're brilliant at making healthy, uh, making food. They may not necessarily know how to make it healthy um, and we've not necessarily worked in earlier settings but we've worked with chefs before um, and to try and explain to them particularly with salt because salt is such an easy important staple in many people's kitchen that you can just add a little bit of flavor but flavor is all perceptive right like you know what I find salty is going it might be different to, to what you find salty or what the chef does if they're cooking constantly and tasting things over time their palate is going to adjust so that they used to, uh, they need a little bit more salt for flavour, whereas a child who has only just started weaning and has only just started tasting anything but milk does not need that salt level in them or does not need those, you know, soft drinks and things like that, fruit juices. Um, so educating them, I think, is really important. And what you guys are doing is, is great. I wish that more um, earlier settings would do the same, um, or if you could get your qualification to be kind of universal even that would be amazing um and then you've also got maybe more within the school settings you've got the the um programs like henry and you've got school food matters and stuff really advocating for healthier stuff but a lot of the time it seems a bit more like a postcode lottery right it depends on mm. what resources your local borough has and um, which is a real shame because i know there's not much going on in in my area here in Merton or at least not that i know of and not that my school are particularly using so it's kind of without that knowledge and without that kind of kind um without that knowledge and without that kind of awareness or people approaching schools mm. that there's vast groups of people that are missing out on these things um i don't really know if, i don't think i'm answering your question very well <laughs> yeah,
0: but um, i've got it down to three things so it takes a village to help instill good habits and we should start as early as possible the thousand and once first days are significant and not, should not be underestimated. We need to continue to work with the food industry and the government to actually get them to understand that children are born first before they reach five. So there's no point putting policies in that start at five. They need to start earlier. Um, you've got the whole thing about making the uh, information on the packaging easier and less complicated. Um, you're happy with our universal qualifications, so thank you for that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think a a way around maybe addressing some of the kind of dietary fads that parents might come in with is with your kind of, with your fountain of knowledge, um, if you're able to share that information, even in little tidbits, in little kind of, um, my old nursery used to have like an app and they would like upload pictures of, of what the kids have eaten, or they'd give you like an advanced weekly notice of what would be on the menu and stuff. And you can just like have like, you know short little bits of information just to kind of reassure the parents that you know it's not just what was easy to make or like what was what just came through the door it's there is a well thought out plan in there just to give them that reassurance that you are giving them the best possible um food for, for, for their day to meet all of their nutritional needs then i think that will combat any of the perhaps nonsense that they hear out in the supermarket that's
0: good advice sonia um so that's our time up. Thank you so much for your um, very interesting um, contribution, actually. Uh, the whole journey through um, to where you're at now is, is very interesting, but it's also quite reassuring in that what you're saying is what we're experiencing. Sadly, sadly reassuring <laughs> In that <laughs> we've got major, major problems. But I think um, organisations like yours need to also um, have a voice for the for the early years, too, and. You know and get people like our regulators and the, the the sort of broader sort of policy develop developers to understand the campaign elements and the way we frame language so we actually give simple uh, i think you call them tidbits which is be right in terms of you being a nutritionist uh information that actually is kind of meaningful and just doesn't give parents another you know it's not another stick to beat them with because god knows um okay. when I was my my children are grown up now but I remember the I was I was talking to one of them the other day I have three and is my middle son and he said mom do you remember he said to me mom are you seriously talking about food the way you do and I said yeah and he said do you not remember what you used to feed us when we were little and I said to him and he, he started to laugh and he said do you remember when you used to take us to Iceland to buy um chicken Kiev's?" and I used to think that the chicken Kiev was like the highest fanciest like biggest treat because I could never make chicken Kiev. I didn't think I could, you know, and I bring them home and say, guess what we're having for dinner. We're having chicken Kievs and I would serve lots of vegetables with it, but it was just such a big deal. And then I realized like 10, 20 years later that that was a load of processed rubbish. And really, you know, just to serve an ordinary bit of chicken with some herbs and stuff on it would have been just as good. But he remembered this. And I remembered thinking just like so many parents, this was the thing you should be buying them you know this was something you couldn't make it was like really like fancy food and it was a big deal so I think as parents we just completely get kind of locked into what is good what the children want the power of their you know of their of marketing on I mean he's 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 another one to talk actually because he wouldn't take his pack lunch unless I put a packet of do you remember umbongo oh
1: yes yeah god knows what was in it.
0: I can see it in my head, I can tell you. But, you know, he wouldn't drink anything except that. And, yeah. you know, I've no idea actually what whether there was any fruit juice in that at all and whether yeah. that was simply sugar water. Yeah. But I it's just, the kind of pressure that they put on you,
1: isn't it? To- oh, definitely. My parents were the same. We were I was practically raised on fruit juice and only afterwards. And you realised that it's, it wasn't even, you know, not from concentrate. It was the concentrate stuff. It's just basically sugar and water, a little bit of colouring yes. and something. And my parents did. My mum genuinely thought that she was providing the best thing because I wouldn't drink water, so she thought the next best thing would be yeah, something would like be that. Her. And it just, but it's 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 not down to, you know, it, it's not irresponsible. She genuinely thought she was she was doing what was best for her kids. And like you were saying, you know, you think it's the best thing for them, but. I think we just need a really good source of information that we can provide to people and there are some great organizations out there you've got the likes of like First Steps Nutrition you've got like early year nutritionists out there those are the people that I always direct like my friends with young kids um, to if they ever need some information on weaning but then you know naturally they go for the kind of the store-bought websites you know the companies that will be out there they'll go to the Ella's Kitchen and the websites and all the recipes and all of that stuff and it's I'm not saying it's the wrong place for it, but there are professionals out there that have got your kids' best interests and aren't making any profit from it. So I strongly recommend they go to places like those instead.
0: Thank you. And on that note, I'll thank you again. It's been a very interesting conversation and it's one we should probably have again. Thank you for joining me today. If you like what you heard, please share it or check us out on our website, leaf.org.uk.